filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster So for Halloween, my kids dressed up as Dorothy and Toto, and it was very cute. Hold on. Hold on. Stop the show. We have breaking Crofton news here on Filibuster. Kyle Beckerman has cut his hair. This is really big, important Crofton news, Jason. Uh, It is. I don't know how many people in actual Crofton uh, are aware uh, or are that uh, excited or have had any reaction. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, after, I'm not sure how long Beckerman has had the, the, the dreadlocks. Um, but, uh, he has one single dread. Yes. Which I he think is, is the most, is actually the most noteworthy thing about it. He opted yes. to keep one. Yeah. He kept one rat tail dread right in the back. Uh, the rest of his hair is short and almost respectable looking. Um, but he is broken what defined him visually for, most, maybe not all, but almost all of his professional career. Crofton and, native, Kyle Beckerman. And I think his reaction is pretty much going to be exactly like De Leon's when he's done a, a significant haircut, which has been like, yeah, I thought it was time to cut it short. And that's the full uh, the full uh, breadth of the conversation you're going to get. It's just, yep, thought it was time. So I did that. Cut my hair. So I think it's always important to put big news into context. I'm I'm not going to do what Rachel Maddow does and, and hide the ball for the first several segments before getting to the actual news. We broke it out front. I think that's the right thing to do. But Jason, help us contextualize this. What was Kyle Beckerman's hair like in high school? I didn't go to high school with Kyle Beckerman. I went to middle school with Kyle okay. Beckerman. In um, middle school? Uh, in middle school, he had the, the hair that was very popular in Crofton at the time, which was the, uh, the mid-90s uh, straight shoulder length uh skater hair um that uh i had five or six players on my club team had that beckerman was not on our team because he was too good uh to, to play with us um but yeah it was a it was a fairly too very common uh haircut in would, would you call that would you call that the alan gordon no a little longer um okay. Yeah, you definitely wanted it brushing uh, your shoulders rather than just getting down below the ear. Um, there were uh, a lot of people trying to figure out how to successfully play soccer while having that hair uh, with it possibly getting in their face. Uh, one of my friends uh, actually just played without dealing with it and his hair would just go flying everywhere. And uh, it became kind of a thing. It was like, you've got to the coaching staff was telling him you have to do something to contain your hair because we feel like you're actually making mistakes based on not being able to see this was um, before man buns were a thing. Right. Um, uh, this was, uh, the era that also brought us the Brian McBride shoelace, uh, in your hair to kind of hold everything back. Um, that was fairly popular with the uh, people with this haircut. I myself, uh, did not ever even give it an attempt. Uh, it just seemed like too much work. Uh, 
for me, my haircut has always been about uh, what is the path of least resistance. Um, and this was a path with some resistance. So I just didn't bother. Um, but yeah, it was uh, pretty much if you had a game in Maryland in that that era, you probably had three or four kids on your team with that haircut. And also the other team had the same number. Um, depending on uh, how many skaters they had on their team, uh, which is it was the mark of uh, someone who spent some time skating. I do have to credit Maddie Lee from the Salt Lake Tribune. She's the one that broke this very important news out there in Utah. Uh, so thank you, Maddie, for bringing us this this joy. Ben, any other thoughts on the news that will define October 2017? Uh, thank goodness is all I have to say. <laughs> it's been too long. I told my wife, who barely watches soccer uh, and basically only watches when I'm watching the USMNT, and she still remembered Kyle Beckerman's hair and was thankful that it is gone. Uh, when my wife came home tonight, I said, when I say the name Kyle Beckerman, what's the first thing you think of? And she said, dreadlocks. And I was like, what do you think happened? She said, he cut it. And I said, and if I said, except, what would you think? She <laughs> said, rat tail in the back. <laughs> she just nailed it. She knew exactly nice. what had happened. Uh, without anybody telling her. And that's because my wife is very smart. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Crofton Hair and Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about not hair, usually, but soccer. Uh, DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Richmond kickers, whatever happens to... uh, catch our attention on a given day that is what we're writing about today we are talking about dc united's uh long national nightmare that was 2017 um we're gonna get into uh what went right and a lot more of what went wrong because there was a lot more of that uh in the second segment we're going to talk about the mls cup playoffs which are proceeding without dc united because that's allowed before we do anything though ben bromley what are you drinking? So we went to uh, Blue Mountain Brewery this weekend for their 10th. Well, we didn't know it was their 10th anniversary celebration, but we uh, wandered into their 10th anniversary celebration. And... Kismet. No, just random chance. <laughs> um, and they had a beer they've had before that's called Spooky. It is their bourbon barrel aged uh, uh, pumpkin beer. But what I uh, got a little bottle to take home of was their Tootsie Roll-infused version of their bourbon barrel-aged pumpkin beer. And they put a shit ton of Tootsie Rolls into uh, the vat where they were brewing this pumpkin beer. And Is that a technical measurement? Yes. Um, and you cannot deny, there are some breweries in Richmond where... Uh, they flavor their beers after they're brewed, and it just you can't really taste the additional flavoring. But uh, you cannot say that about this. You can definitely taste like it's not just you can't say oh that's vaguely chocolate flavored. No, it is exactly Tootsie Roll flavored, and you can <laughs> tell. And I'm not going to recommend this beer, but it is definitely one of the most unique beers I've had this year. Okay. I've got some old Overholt rye poured into some warmed apple cider with some uh, 
cinnamon. I grated into it. It's pretty tasty. It's warm. It's nice. Actual cinnamon sticks that you yes. grated? Yes. Right. Cool. Yeah. I, I I went for the top shelf cinnamon, not the uh, not the pre grated stuff that may as well be wood chips look some of the me, time. Look at me, a running dog lackey of the bourgeoisie. Damn straight. You're the one that Adam, talks about top shelf limes, Ben. <laughs> Adam is a show of big cinnamon. Yes. Are we getting a cut of this uh, big cinnamon money, Adam? We're going to talk about big cinnamon. I, I want to get paid. Sticks of cinnamon that cinnamon I've had. Cinnamon industry, please send us money. <laughs> please do. I will find more reasons to use cinnamon rather than keeping I'll, sticks of cinnamon in my pantry for two years. Finding I will put and only using every one single every, drink every year. That I drink on this show every single time. But only if we get that big cinnamon money. Right. Otherwise, no way. Jason, what are you drinking? Brought to you by the American cinnamon industry. I am not drinking any cinnamon because I don't have any money. Um, <laughs> what about the American Mango Council? Uh, no, that was that was uh, they they did cover the NWSL for a year, but uh, I didn't see any of that money, so I'm not drinking any mangoes either. I have a um, friend who works for the Potato Council. How can they get looped into this? My granddad used to be a uh, the head uh, lobbyist for the uh, national cheese industry. And appropriately, and not hilariously, they called him the big cheese. <laughs> that is hilarious, though. <laughs> it's, that's a very dad joke. Right. It's so on the nose that it right. becomes it hilarious again. Around again. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, if, if the cheese industry wants to send us, uh, I'll put cheese in the drinks. I don't care. Just send us money. <laughs> um, he will make it, a nacho old-fashioned. Currently, our, our only sponsor... Uh, is is more of a concept. They don't make a physical product, so I can't put uh, uh, any legal advice or guidance in drinks. So I don't do that either. Um, though, if they started making a product, I assume I would just immediately start throwing it into a glass. Anyway, uh, I have uh, Cavassier VS in a coffee mug because I do not have any proper clean glassware. So this was the only close to appropriate sized glassware, and it's not glass; it's a ceramic coffee mug. All right, that's two of us drinking a plastic coffee mug. coffee mug. True, true. It's I'm drinking the last clean coffee mug. I need to do dishes. I, I'm drinking out of crystal. So, oh well, who's fancy now? Silver, yeah, me. Crystal. I'm damn fancy. <laughs> you're not bourgeoisie. You're just straight up first estate. Ben's a one percenter. Yeah, you're straight up aristocracy with your crystal. Yeah, I'm fucking fancy. It's all right. <laughs> you know what wasn't fancy? DC United this entire season? I was going to say this segue, but let's go with that. <laughs> For eight teams in MLS, the, the, the 2017 season continues. For the rest of us, including DC United, it, it's over. It's done. All eyes are on next year. Um, we're going to get into big picture stuff in just a minute. But first, our annual series uh, of individual player season reviews where we go through and talk about how a player was for DC United this year, um, how they performed, what was expected of them, and and how they measured up, and then open it up to to voters uh, on the site. Do you want this player back? In the past, it's been known as river or life. I prefer the term cake or death. Adam, are you talking about a segment that we know as goat or fox on this show? 
It only has one name on the show. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. That's verifiably false. The website is something completely different. On this here show, it only has one name. <laughs> I have never called it by that name. <laughs> but the but it's two against one, so we win. Your recalcitrance doesn't really matter. <laughs> the first two subjects of our season review are the first two in the alphabet. We have Luciano Acosta and Paul Ariola. You know, pretty pretty good way to start. Uh, Lucho Acosta didn't improve on his 2016. Uh, mostly because nobody did. He uh, he he showed some, you know, he showed some flashes of what got him essentially a DP contract, um, and he showed some flashes of what we saw, some warning signs we saw in 2016, where if he's not getting protected from the ref or by the ref, he will take matters into his own hands, kick out or. Uh, going extra hard and get himself a yellow card or worse, as we saw in the the season finale against the Red Bulls. Uh, I didn't look up his numbers like I should have before the show because I was doing other things. What was it? Five goals, three assists? That sounds about right. I think five and four, five and four. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Uh, was he the team leader in both? Uh, tied for both. Tied for both. Uh which is not good. Those are low numbers. Yes. yes. The team was bad. Not as low yeah. as 2013, but still bad. Yeah, it, it yeah. still stings to realize those are tied for first. Yes. So, Jason, cake yes. or death for Lucho Acosta? Uh, it, I feel like the answer is, is an obvious goat, but we do need to see uh, long-term sustained improvement. Um, there are things that are really great about Lucho's game. Um, he led the team in attempted dribbles and also uh, led the league. If you take out the exception of John Goosens, I looked this up earlier today um, for Biola, um, and the leader in dribbles per 90 was John Goosens, but he played one game this season. Uh, he got hurt in the season opener and missed the rest of the year. Um, so if you take him out, uh, Lucho led the league in successful dribbles per game. Uh, everyone enjoys seeing that it's part of what makes soccer fun is seeing players try and take people on and fake them out. Um, it also happens to be very effective. It's an effective way to um, win games, but we need to see Lucho turn that kind of thing and his passing gifts. It needs to be a more of a sustained dangerous thing. He needs to figure out how to rein in his temper. Um, that last red card, he didn't even seem that angry that game. And then he got himself sent out for something. He just, there was no point to it. It didn't get him anything. Um, so those things need to improve. And I think generally that's the theme of my answer is that he needs to get better in 2018. Um, there's significant pressure on him to improve, especially with um, Zoltan Stieber uh, looking like a good auxiliary option. There's real pressure uh, for his starting role. Um, but all that said, I think it's a solid goat in this uh, for the, for the actual answer. So my theory about Lucho is that he has gotten it into his head, and not unjustifiably, that he is the only creative option or the only like excellent creative option on this team, and that he has to do everything himself. And 
that has led to some wonderful creative things. And that has also led to him trying to take on three opposing players and getting dispossessed. And that became even more evident once Paul Ariola and Zoltan Stieper and Russell Knaus, uh, got signed, and he finally had at least a little bit of options, even though they hadn't been well integrated yet. And so I'm ho- what I'm hoping is, given this offseason and the chance to completely integrate with those players and with the fact that DC United has to sign some sort of TAM or DP-level central striker, once all of those pieces are in place... Uh, Lucho's not going to have to be the guy anymore. And he's not going to be the guy that opposing defense is keying on and are knocking him over every five seconds. And so with all of that, I'm hoping that he can become even better and become a cog in the machine and one that is excellent, but one that doesn't have to be the guy that because that tends to just frustrate him out of a game. I I agree that I think Stieber and Ariola and striker TBD um, are all going to help him. We saw, we saw Ariola creating space uh, that, that helped Lucho get better. And then once he, that there were, a, there was one, most of one game and, and flashes elsewhere where he and Stieber just share a brain. And it's really mm-hmm. fun to watch when, when those two are on the same page and they got, I, I'm excited to see what happens next year between the two of them because they they seem to see the game the same way, and that I think bodes well. Uh, I think there's a certain extent to which he's going to have to be the man no matter what. He's the number ten in a system that is is going to use a number ten, and that's always going to require a a lot of focus. I would be happy to see his usage rate drop a little bit so that when he does get the ball, it's more. You know, it's higher leverage situations where where he can he's either one v one or in a spot to combine rather than getting the ball at midfield and having to look up and figure out what's going on from there. He can get the ball more into the final third or or on the break. Uh, obviously, cake is is the answer. I agree um, with all that. Next on the list, Paul Ariola, uh, deadline day acquisition, the the biggest outlay of cash. Uh, in DC United's history, they bought him from Cholos down there in Tijuana, and there's some news about Cholos that's that's pretty interesting. Well, rumors. I wouldn't say rumors. Yeah. yeah, there's rumors about Cholos floating around that that could lead to potential acquisitions in the future. Um, who knows what what's what's actually well, going on down be, there in to Tijuana? To be clear, the rumors haven't mentioned DC United at all. It's just a general right. rumor that it might be easy to get players from there. Right. Um, in the very near future. Yeah. And with a player who was recently at Tijuana, um, it makes sense that United might lean on that knowledge to, to reach in and, and pluck a, a player or two. Uh, Paul Ariola had one goal, the, the last game of the season, uh, three assists, I think, two. uh, two assists. I, I stole one from Lucho, I guess, to give to him. <laughs> um, and, and, had a lot of danger, had a lot of good moments, had some games where he was frankly not as involved as, as some people would have liked. Ben, we'll start with you this time. Cake or death for Paul Ariola. 
I mean, Paulo Riola is also obviously a goat. Um, I think that he's obviously now in the top tier of U.S. men's national team. I mean, it's hard to keep him off of – it's hard to justify keeping him off of the field for the U.S. men's national team. And so Ben Olsen has to find a way to maximize his talents uh, with this team. Um, I think between between him and Lucho, you've got to balance the team around those two players and find a way to maximize both of them. And you have to do it at the expense of anybody else on the roster. So if you have to get rid of basically anybody else on the roster to make the team better for Paul Areola or and for Lucho Acosta, that's something you just have to do because they are by and far the best players on the team. Uh, maybe Zoltan Stieber is in that conversation as well. But if you need to switch something up so that you change the back line or you change the the midfield or you change how the strikers are operating to maximize the potential of Paul Areola and Lucho Acosta, because Paul Areola has showed it at the international level, even at his young age, that's just something you have to do. And Ben Olsen and Dave Casper need to be need to have that at the forefront of their minds going into this offseason because it's the only way they're going to maximize this team going into Audi Field. So the question mark, really the only question mark on Paul Ariola coming in was end product. We we saw him score, like we said, one goal and two assists. Uh, and I think the two assists came in the same game. Mm-hmm. Uh so we didn't see as much final product, as much counting stats as as you might want from your DP yeah. winger. What I did like is we saw him getting into goal scoring positions more and even creating his own shot a couple of times, which was, I guess, if there's a second complaint, that that would be it, is that he doesn't create for himself. Um, we saw both of those, at least the the process to to score goals and, and create your own shot improve over his time when in dc I, I my assumption is that the coaching staff was telling him be more aggressive go 1v1 you have you can do it so so do it um one thing that i thought was interesting too is for a guy who's known as a chalk on your heels kind of kind of stay wide winger he did a lot of uh floating um and switching with with zoltan stieber not when the ball was dead but during the run of play, which I thought, or from, from open play, I don't, I don't want people who, who are sticklers, friends of mine who are sticklers to, to come at me for misusing the phrase run of play, uh, in open play, he would float inside and all the way across the field on occasion. I thought that was really interesting to see that kind of fluidity, especially so early after his arrival, because that was not something we saw from Lloyd Sam or Patrick Nyarko. Um, He's obviously getting cake from me. I, I think you're right, Ben. He is one of the two, maybe three most important players, uh, especially on the attack, going into next year. And uh, he, part of the the plan for next year has to be, you know, getting him some finishing drills and and getting him into position to score some goals and and get some assists because he he has to take some of that workload off of Lucho next year. Jason. Yeah, but I think if you get, oh. I think if you get, a, if you get a Nemanja Nikolic level player, uh, Ariel was going to just be feeding that guy, and 
he doesn't need the finishing drills that people are talking about. He's going to, it's going to happen for him. So I think, I think it's building around him. That is the main thing. Right. To be clear that that's true. But I think even if you get a Nikolic level player, you know, the golden boot, uh, likely newcomer of the year, even if you get that, if that guy has one bad game in the playoffs, then, you know, you're going down in whatever round. Right. Which, Which has is, actually happened in DC before. Yeah. Um, it happened to Nikolic in the fire this year. Right. And, so you, you want to have multiple scoring threats. And I think Ariola can be and will be and needs to be one right. of them. Um, yeah. I mean, my take to get the drama out of the way is obviously go. I mean, the guy, uh, I'm sure people were really concerned about what right. you're, um, <laughs> you know, he, he is a, as Ben pointed out, he's, more he's not quite 100 percent ensconced as a national team starter but i mean we also have a national team situation where a lot of the old guys are going to get cleaned out and he's not an old guy um so he's if anything going to become more apart there than he was in the past um depending on you know the fact that he can play multiple positions there also helps because if uh a new coach comes in and wants a wing back. Well, guess what? Paul Ariel has spent an entire season in Mexico playing as a wing back. So um, that won't be a problem for him. Um, as far as DC goes. Yeah, I think. Um, and, and I mentioned this, I kind of hinted at it in the article uh, that I wrote talking about Ariola. Um, the fact that I was looking up his dribbling stats and he ended up for players that played more than 10 games. He is also in the top five league wide for successful dribbles per game. So him and Lucho are both top five in all of MLS in that category for once you throw out the guys that played like two games and have bizarre stats. Um, And I think that points to what Ben Olsen wants his team to do. Um, He doesn't necessarily want a team that gets wide and hits crosses and doesn't really beat their man so much as just gets far enough away that they can hit the ball into the box. Um, I think he wants guys that are able to break lines by on the dribble, not just guys that break lines only via the pass. Um, I thought it was interesting when I was looking through those numbers that Ariola only had, uh, it was uh, 0.5 crosses per game. So he's not hitting a bunch of crosses into the box, even with Patrick Mullins being, you know, Mullins' finishing wasn't very good this year, but he was able to get a lot of headers. Uh, he was always going to be able to beat center backs to the ball like that. Um, even with him and Deshaun Brown as a tall option in the box, he wasn't looking for, I'm just going to whip this ball and see what happens. That wasn't his thought process. He's looking to get past his man, get deep, and then cut the ball back, um, cut the ball back to runners, uh, combine with Lucho, things like that. So um, I think it's a hint at maybe where this team believes, uh, what they believe is a profitable style of play down the road. Because I think, we all know that by the time August rolled around, no matter how much they talked about how they were still alive, the Areola acquisition, all those acquisitions were based on being good in 2018 because 2017 was a lost cause even that late in the season. Though they did bizarrely stay within mathematical, uh, you know, a mathematical chance was sustained for far longer than you would have thought. It was bizarre. Um, I had multiple people ask me, like, wait, we're still in the playoff? But we still have a shot at the playoffs? Like, actually, yes, somehow. Um, but, yeah, I, I think um, acquiring a player like that, because you don't – no one's spending $3 million and giving up half a million in TAM. No one's doing that on the eyeball test alone. 
Um, this team has a data data analyst, a full-time person whose job is to just look at that stuff. Um, and by all accounts, you know, not that, not that we have direct quotes or anything, but by all accounts, Ben Olsen isn't just, it's not just a guy that was hired and Ben Olsen like acknowledges him, but doesn't really listen. Um, there is an inclination for Olsen and Casper to incorporate that stuff into what they're doing. Um, and, and obviously this is a tip of the iceberg impression, but it looks like they want guys that can play like Lucho and like, uh, Paul Ariola. Um, the next step is obviously, you know, as you guys have both talked about the, the, the goals and assists have to go up. Um, if he played a full season based on his appearance, number of appearances, he would have finished this year with about three and six. If he maintained his rate, uh, throughout the whole year consistently. Um, now I do think that if, if this had been, if he had arrived for the first game of the season and scored in what turned out to be his 11th game, I think it would have been not as dramatic, a damn breaking effect as Mullen scoring one and then ending the game, that same game with four. Um, I don't think it would have been quite so dramatic, but I think he would have gotten on a little more of a run. Well, and if, uh, if Mullins hadn't been a literal ice cube all year, that, that his right. numbers would have been, if he had been here the whole year, would have been higher as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, but but I, I do think that uh, Ariola's ability to get himself into scoring position, which a lot of it is just like the fact that he just doesn't stop running. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that also, the, the movement, Adam, that you were talking about, where he would, would switch spots with uh, Steber while an attack was going on, that also, Stieber's making five or ten yards. He's drifting inside. Uh, Ariola in those moments is doing most of the running. Right. Um, he's covering like fifty yards to get across there because he just never stops running. Uh, the guy has just bottomless fitness, um, and that that is so difficult for teams to deal with. Um, and so the fact that he might not ever be a Alessandrini or Piatti level goal scorer. Um, on the plus side, what he does is he's just so it's such a he's such a problem. He's such a constant irritant to uh, other teams that eventually someone is going to have attacking success if if the players around him are good enough. Um, you know, I think we can assume that Mullins will bounce back to some degree. I think that's a fair assumption to make. Um, maybe not. You maybe wouldn't want to bet the mortgage on it, but um, you, you can be. I, I feel like it's it's a uh, more than likely a safe thing to say. I think we can also assume that there's going to be a big time, at least a big attempted uh, signing up front. Um, and so those players being in place and converting the chances Ariola creates, uh, that's going to make his assist numbers go up at least. I don't know that he's ever going to be that high of a goal scorer because uh, as much as he gets himself into good positions, he's just, he's pretty far off from being a good finisher. Even his goal um, as difficult as it is to score on a full volley at that angle, uh, he almost hits the ball straight in the, to Luis Robles. I hate to take credit away from him, but he almost did <laughs> hit Robles right in the face with that one instead of putting it in. Um, so I, I don't know that he's ever going to be a consistent source of goals. Um, but I do think he's the kind of player that can easily get himself up to 13 and 14 assists. Uh, I think of uh, Michael Barrios with FC Dallas as a good example. Um, and the fact that he can just run his, uh, his man into the ground, um, it changes things for the rest of the team. Um, and I think those, the combination of those two things, uh, points to, uh, a pretty fruitful, uh, future for him. It just, 
he does have to keep his trajectory. His trajectory is very, very promising, but he has to maintain that. He can't let that drop off. Um, but I think he's the kind of guy that is going to put himself towards uh, improving everything he can. He, he seems like the kind of player that's just constantly trying to get better, um, which is a big positive because he's got all the intangibles that you want. So if he just refines the skill stuff a little bit, all of a sudden it's going to become a lot better, um, a lot more productive. Um and, and I think that if he does that, he'll justify the expense. He'll ex- justify the cap hit that he takes. Because I, if I'm not mistaken, the DP cap hit is basically 25% of your salary cap. Um, I could have that wrong. Um, but I think that's roughly what it's it, actually, that's probably wrong. It's probably a lower percentage. Yeah, I think it's lower than that. Um, but, but in any case, you know, whatever chunk of the cap he takes up, um, I think he's close to justifying that. He's just he's not far from putting up the kind of numbers and being the sort of, if not a game changer, at least a the kind of guy that just tilts the field for you. Where you've got to dedicate so many resources to dealing with Paul Ariola that you someone else is just loose and is going to get free. Maybe it's Zoltan. Um, in fact, it probably is Zoltan. If you think about people trying to deal with Lucho and deal with. Um, Ariola is someone's going to get loose in there. And if it's not forward to be named, then Zoltan is certainly smart enough to pick up the pieces and turn it into the kind of season where it's like, wow, Zoltan ended up with like double digit goals and assists. Um, so yeah, I think Ariola is the kind of guy that allows that to happen for his teammates. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's exciting to see what he's going to become next year because I, I think we can see that he's definitely never going to be – Olsen's never going to treat him like a luxury player. Um, he's never going to be the guy that's like, well, if you just put in a little more defensive work, I'd start you. Um, right. That's not going to be a problem. So uh, it's it's exciting to see where his uh, his future goes because if this team makes the moves they need to, need to in the offseason – I think he's going to make everyone around him better. And I think if you put a couple better pieces around him, he's going to get better. Um, so it's, it can be a very uh, profitable, uh, like it, it's sort of like a, um, now I've, I've lost the term. Uh, uh, it's a physically impossible thing. It's a machine, a self-propagating machine is, is almost the right term. Yes, but, I had right. it. Uh, motion. Um, Perpetual motion. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we Good got teamwork. there. Yes. Thank you. Uh, especially a special thanks to Ben, uh, who said something I didn't quite make out, but he did he push said, us over the line. He said the right thing. So, yeah, go. <laughs> Just to bring it back around. Um, Cake or Death took a little bit longer than I had budgeted for, so we're going to take a quick break. Stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I know I promised last segment that we would get into a a wider angle breakdown of DC United's uh, year to forget, by and large, uh, that was 2017. We're going to put that on the back burner a little bit because we we got pretty in the weeds with Lucho and and with Ariola. Yeah, Ben um, talked too much, and not Jason. Yeah, yeah, Ben is the one who talked too much. That ben is, Bromley is the one. That, that's not, the pattern on this and show. And not, not Jason Anderson. No, certainly not. <laughs> Jason has been called many things, most of them by himself, because no one else gets a word in edgewise. <laughs> uh, we're going to put that on the back burner, though. We're going we're gonna, to... We will come back to it. We will. In, in yes. fact, we will come back to it over multiple weeks. Going forward, we decided to to give it the space it, it really deserves to really break they were down this bad. year. Um, there's a lot to talk about and and trying to match all it of it bad. left. Not all of it bad, Ben. Yes, Some all of, of it, it was not bad. I won't say it was good, but it wasn't necessarily bad. What is bad is that DC United are not in these playoffs. Um, and actually, given some of the games, that might even not be bad. <laughs> um mm. Whatever the case, the playoffs are well and truly upon us. Through one and a half rounds, we've seen blowouts. We've seen upsets. We've seen possibly the best scoreless draw in league history and um, some other 0-0 scorelines that, that, that Don Garber would rather have not had had on national television. Um, I'll leave it to you guys. What game do you want to start with? Which one do you care most about talking about first, Ben? I want to talk about... Uh, I, I know we may have this as a subject going forward, but I want to talk about the team, uh, or at least one of the two teams that I am supporting as a DC United fan in these playoffs. And I want to talk about Toronto FC beating the New York Red Bulls because A, screw the Red Bulls, and B, I kind of want TFC to win it all. A is an important point. Yes. yes. A, a is, is very important. I would say the more important point there. Yes, it is. And I'm glad you started with it. You should always lead with your best argument, and you yes. did that, sir. Yes, exactly. Kudos to you. Unlike, apparently, the NASL in their legal arguments, but we'll save that for maybe never. Um, but yeah, uh, the New York Red Bulls just decided to not play good soccer, and I feel like it exposed everything that is uh, bad about the Red Bulls that they're able to paper over throughout the year. Uh, I think everybody finally came to realize that Sasha Kleschen can be good at soccer, but he also tries a lot of stuff and it only sometimes comes together. And when he tries a lot of stuff and it doesn't come together, you get a game like this one. Um, 
it also was plainly obvious that Luis Robles was very bad in this game. And he was not the worst goalkeeper associated with a team in the greater New York area, though. Yes. I mean, if you want, if you <laughs> he, want to say that, game, but. if you want to say two goalkeepers are, uh, the worst and the second worst in MLS, uh, yes, <laughs> I, I'll agree with you then. Um, but he, Luis Robles also had a very bad game. Um, especially on the, uh, uh, well, not especially, just on the first goal when Josie Altador decided to, uh, make fools of everyone, including the defense. Uh, Robles could have stopped that ball. He could have pushed that, that, uh, Josie's cross anywhere. Right. And he also had a chance to contain that ball. Like he yeah. didn't have to even give up a right. rebound, period. He could have grabbed it, and yeah. that would have been something that a, a, it would have been a good grab, but a good MLS goalkeeper should do that. Uh, but even a not good MLS goalkeeper should do anything except push it into the middle for Victor Vasquez to immediately score, which is what, uh, Luis Robles decided to do. Vasquez did have some work to do on that, though, and I, and I, I want to give him some finish. Pro- that was incredible. Um, that was great. He was running. He's yeah. running right to left. The ball pops out. He changes his direction, reaches behind himself to get the ball, manages to regain his balance and curl it back into the to the right yeah. to the right corner. It was it it was an excellent goal from it Vasquez. Was. It shouldn't um, have happened. You're right. Robles right. bears a lot of blame, but that and also I want to give a lot of credit to Josie for. Uh, his run, his power, and his cross on that as well. Right. Um, yeah that that finish was such a high, it's a such a high degree of difficulty uh, to shoot after just the one touch. Like the the problem for me with Robles is that he gave up a rebound that allowed Vasquez really Vasquez could have taken a second touch and probably ended up with most of the goal to shoot at and probably scores anyway. But the fact that he came across, took his one touch, shifted his whole body weight, and then curled the ball back against his own momentum uh, was was a, a pretty special finish. Um, but I mean, that's just the guy's extremely good at soccer, so he does stuff yeah. like that. So, and then here's my thing: Toronto FC are really good. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, all over the field. Like you, you can say, you got to give props to Vasquez. You got to give props to Altador. You got to give props to Drew Moore. You got to give props to Michael Bradley. You got to give props to Marky. Du- like their whole team, right? <laughs> Just well, I mean, is better everywhere on the field than almost anyone in MLS. It's I unreal mean, how good they are. We've hated on him in the past, but even Nick Hagland had a really good game in this mm-hmm. game. He's in a system that suits him. Like, right? It, and, and, Greg Vanny's done a great job up there yeah, at TFC, which. I, I, Maybe the most interesting thing about this game, to me at least, was that I think Greg Vanny decisively outcoached Jesse Marsh. Um, Because it's not like both teams knew what the other team was generally going to try and do. Um, But what we saw and what Ben hinted at was that TFC managed to reduce Sasha Kleschen's role and cause him a difficult night, to say the least. Um, And when you look at the way these teams set up, if, if... the Red Bulls have Sean Davis and Daniel Royer. If those guys are dropping off, they should be able to do the same thing to TFC's midfield. Um, the numbers should be, they should be able to cancel each other out uh, fairly effectively in the same way. But instead what we saw was T- 
TFC canceled question out, but Victor Vasquez ends up having a good game, scores a goal, and TFC generally is in charge from start to finish. And at the end of the game, Jesse Marsh had the thousand yard stare of like, what on earth am I going to do to turn this thing around? Right. This game Um, went about as far as finishing this game went almost as well as it could have for the Red Bulls because there were there were some chances left on the table by the Reds and yeah. they the, the game ended two to one and right you they know, get a penalty that was I mean it's a penalty but it's close to not in, being one. in the playoffs you generally don't see that particular what? call given I mean, and that and in, for, in, for better May, or worse in May in MLS you don't see that called yeah. uh, I I was okay with the call but I I just would acknowledge that it's very close to not I was very close to not being okay I guess is right. the best way to put it um. It was close to not a penalty, and that's pretty much the best thing the Red Bulls did in the game. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And they're they're now down two to one, going to Toronto. They have right. to overcome uh, a one goal deficit and two away goals. So right, yeah. they have. We know they have to score. Um, they have to win at least what two to zero. Yeah, or if, yeah. if they win two to one, they'll force extra time. Right, but yeah. they have to score two goals at Toronto. Yes, bare, bare minimum, they've got to score twice. Right, which um, is not where anybody should want to be. Um, one more thing about this game, and this is just the the delightful moment of the show. Javinko's free kick on the winner was was superb. It always it, is. It reminded but, me of how he plays against DC United. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's not the delightful moment. The delightful moment is the foul that won him that free kick, which was committed by Felipe Martins. Yeah, watching him, watching him just like realize what he had done. Right, <laughs> just the look of horror and his the, the the color drained from his face. It matched his white shirt. It was beautiful. And so delightful. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Um, that's it for that game. Uh, Jason, your turn. What game do you um, want to talk about? Why don't we get the least pleasant of the four games out of the way? Vancouver Zero. Yes. Seattle. I'm Zero. glad I did not have to give this any game further was So I, bad. That my only notes on this game. Can so I, bad. Can, can I jump in before Jason actually yeah, talks ahead, about ben. this game? Um, I decided to fall asleep. I, like, I looked at this game, I saw probably the first five minutes, and I was like, I have a 14-month-old, I'm going to sleep. Right. Uh, well, I was telling you guys off the air, uh, I might as well bring this forward. Um, sometimes when you watch too many soccer games, you have to stare the fact that you watch too many soccer games in the face. Um and around the 75th minute of this game, I started to have to really consider whether the, watching this many games was a good idea as like a long-term <laughs> life strategy. Because this game was like, why ever watch soccer at all? Um, and you, the thing is, like, you knew up front, too. It wasn't like it became bad and you had to deal with the shock of it being bad. It was from the lineups, you knew that this was going to happen. Everyone knew it was going to happen. Steven Streff um, and I were talking uh, – uh, on Slack, and we were both like, yeah, this is totally a 0-0. It's going to be an awful game. And then the exact thing we said would happen absolutely played out exactly. If we had had to expound on it, we probably could have predicted everything that happened. Um, Jason, some, when you stare into the abyss, sometimes the abyss stares back at you. Right, and and uh, really really decides to hammer it home. I mean... Um, <laughs> and then it hits you <laughs> repeatedly. <right>. And... Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it started, like, the badness of this game started 
when the lineups came out an hour beforehand, when we got to see uh, the ghost of Martin Rennie field a full <laughs> 11 of defensive. Oh, man, I miss that guy. Um, Do you? I mean, I miss him being you, bad at coaching soccer teams. Ben, if you want, I, I think he's still coaching in the Korean league. So you could just pick a different team that doesn't like his team. And then you could uh, continue to encounter Martin Rennie. Although I, I kind of wish he was back in NASL, although he'd probably be the best coach in NASL right now. Uh, no second. Um, the Cosmos coach is actually pretty good. Yeah, well, but he won't, there, he, but he's, he, he's he won't be. Yeah, what? Sarvisi won't be there next year. Well, the NASL might not be there next year. Right, but even if even if that <laughs> league is still around, and, and, you know, for the fans of that league, I think we all hope that it is in some fashion. Or the, I hope, at least the I hope, teams are I hope the, te- I hope the teams are there next year. Right. I don't hope the league is there next right. year. Um, or they just replace every single person in charge of the league uh, from yeah. top to bottom. Anyway, um, so Carl Robinson sends out a lineup that has Ali Gazal, who's a, a pretty good pickup, I've got to say, uh, Egyptian international they put him at the base of their midfield, but then the guys ahead of him in central midfield are Nosa, who is a defensive midfielder, and Tony Chani, who is a defensive midfielder. Um, and then, and then on top of that, they threw Breck Shea out there, and Breck Shea looked particularly bad. Oh, um, he had oh, a particularly rough game. Um, I mean, just from top to bottom, it was a defense-first lineup. It was pretty much the most conservative lineup that Robinson could pick without just fielding ten defenders. Um, so wait, wait. Are, are, are we sure we haven't seen Carl Robinson and Martin Rennie in the same sp- same spot? I don't think we have actually seen them no, in the same spot. I so it's possible they are that there's a um, face off situation going on, and okay. he's just wearing Carl Robinson's face. Okay. Um, I don't know if he's the Travolta or Cage in this scenario. I don't think either of them is a Travolta or a Cage. They're just boring. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But you know. On the other side of the, the, like the Seattle, the Vancouver lineup came up first and it was like, oh God, it's, they're at home and they're, this is yeah. their lineup. But then Seattle's lineup came out and Clint Dempsey is suspended. Uh, Oswaldo Alonso is only able to play, I want to say like 25 minutes. No, not even 25. Um, uh, Gustav Svensson was only fit to play like 25 something minutes. Um, so they're short of so many players. Jordan Morris was not even in the 18. So Seattle fields a lineup that's basically like we're short several very important players. It's a playoff game. We're on the road. Of course, we're going to play a more conservative lineup. Um, Unlike Robinson's choices, I understand Brian Schmetzer being like, look, we've got to play to win this game uh, or play to win this playoff series. So today we're trying to just make sure we get a shutout. His choices make sense because he doesn't have so many difference makers for his midfield and attack. Uh, Robinson at home I don't know how you can defend this because if you've got Seattle coming in, missing those players, why don't you go after them? Why don't you try and beat them? Um, Especially because you're essentially punting on leg one at home and saying like, let's go to Seattle and see if we can get a scoring draw or a win against a team that basically doesn't concede goals at home. And that will have Clint Dempsey back and that will have a fitter Alonso and Svensson all available. Um, I think Vancouver made a dramatic and obvious uh, blunder in terms of strategy. Um, and the game played out pretty much like two teams that just didn't want to have to play a first leg. Um, nothing well, it was nice of them to agree just to right. not play the first um, leg. And I, I will say during our Here's first segment, uh, I saw on, um, on Twitter that um, 
uh, I guess uh, the the white caps are trying to say that Jordi Reyna and um, Christian Teixeira are iffy to even suit up for the 18. But the key is that there, that report came from the white caps staff. Um, that was a team report. That wasn't an independent journalist report. Um, and it's one of those like classic attempts at a mind games in the playoff, but everyone Reina and Tachera played in the first leg um, and didn't come off injured. Uh, those guys are probably going to be ready to play, which means Vancouver's actually going to have some weapons on the field, um, which will be at least it. I guess the only good thing I can say about this game is that the lineups, uh, the, the return to fitness of some of these players, at least guarantee us one game that might be sort of entertaining. Um, because now they really have made it a winner go home second leg. Um, both teams will be better going forward due to the players they'll have back. Um, unless Vancouver isn't playing possum, but they're playing possum. Um, yeah, it just, this, this game sucked. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was awful. That's, we have to talk, we, we spent yeah. a lot of time this year talking about things that kind of suck. So let's not spend any more on this one. Let's talk about the other scoreless draw. Somehow f- there were two Western Conference games in this round and none, there were no goals in either so of them. No goals. Houston zero, Portland zero. Contrast that with the East where all four teams scored um, at least a goal. I I don't, I, I guess it's just the league trying Screw to turn Houston. in. <laughs> turn into the slide that is uh, the Eastern Conference being better this year, finally. Justice for Rafael Augusto. Forever. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That's a good reason to hate on Houston. Um, um, or, or really, who was the ref in that? Um, was it Juan Guzman in that game? Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember now. I think, I think it might be Juan. Right. I think it was him. Um, either way, he's done more than enough to also earn my my undying um not hatred hatred's too strong ire yeah ire let's go with ire thank you jason <laughs> good teamwork uh houston portland no goals uh yeah. down in space city um the thing that most people are talking about is the field <laughs> in that one uh merritt paulson the timbers owner popped off about the field after the game uh apparently houston shares it with uh, a local college football team. There were other games um, as well, bes- or other events besides those. It was generally not ideal. Um, whether you want to blame the field for the three timbers that went off injured in this one, um, I guess is up to you, but they lost Diego Shira, Darlington Nagby, and Larry's Maviala in this one. Um, I, I, I can't imagine Caleb Porter is is happy about any of that or, or even about not getting an away goal in Houston. I don't know how much there is for him to be really happy about after this game, other than maybe keeping a zero. Yeah, probably not much. Um, I I don't know that Portland's ever going to explicitly blame the field for all the injuries, but I feel like they're going to hint at it pretty strongly. I'm not sure how much of a case they actually have. Um, Chara's injury is a broken foot, which is probably more of a contact injury than a, um, even though uh, I, I think this might have been something where he just twisted his foot badly, but it wasn't that the surface gave way. Um, but either way, he's probably out for the remainder of the playoffs. That's a two-month injury. Um, even with the, the playoffs dragging out for longer than they should, um, there's just no time for him to get back, which is a major loss for them. 
um, especially when David Guzman wasn't uh, able to suit up as well. So they started this game with Lawrence Olam partnering uh, Chara and then had to bring in Amobi Okugo uh, to partner Olam, which um, those are all decent players, but the step down, the loss of mobility when you lose Chara is a big deal. Um, and if they can't have Guzman for the second leg, they also lose um, Guzman. It takes most of their free kicks, not their going to goal free kicks, but anything they're sending in the box towards targets. Um, he takes most of those. So they've lost a, a, a kind of a low key, important part of their attack, as well as a starting number six. Um if he can't suit up, uh, they also, by losing Mabiala lost their most athletic center back and had to replace him with Roy Miller. Um, <laughs> so yeah, this game was, I mean, if you told Porter, he was going to get out of this game with the draw, it, it's kind of like a genie, like a mischievous genie would have done like Porter's like, uh, you know, my wish for, for the genie is, uh, uh, a zero, Roy zero Miller. in Houston. And the genie is like, okay, but then you end up getting, or maybe the genie isn't the best one, the monkey's paw from various uh, stories where you make your wish and then the monkey's paw gives you your wish, but also gives you unforeseen consequences. Um, the unforeseen consequences in this case being injuries that are really bad for Portland. They can't really, they're not really cut out to deal with. Um, Darlington Nagby left. Um, I don't think, I don't know that he's actually out for the second leg, but it's definitely up in the air whether he can play. Um, though they do have, they didn't play, um, they didn't use Sebastian Blanco, which was interesting. Um, so I I don't think he has any injury, or no, um, yeah, he doesn't have an injury problem. Guzman had, um, his injury was uh, that he apparently spilled some boiling water while cooking onto his bare foot. Right, right. Um, so he had, um, you know, that's burn. freakish enough that I think the, yeah. the monkey's paw genie theory um, <laughs> could actually be onto something. Might actually be the most likely explanation. Not just I'm, not just as plausible, but is right. the most plausible. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's weird because normally, you know, with Vancouver, I'm saying that Vancouver basically threw away their opportunity to knock Seattle out of the playoffs. Um, in Houston's case, a zero-zero at home actually kind of works for them because. They've been really good on the road, and they are, they're built to counter. Um, this is a counterattack first, second, and third team. So going on the road and having to defend and counter, I think they're going to be completely comfortable with. Um, and now that they're facing Portland with major problems up the spine of the team, I feel like Wilmer Cabrera is probably all in all very pleased with the, the situation right now. I don't, I'm sure he didn't say, I wish that there are a bunch of injuries on Portland's team, and that'll be great. Um, but I think if you told him this was what he was going to be up against in the second leg, I think he would have taken it. Um, I mean, he's still got to deal with the fact that Diego Valeri could easily just haul this team into the, into the next round by himself. Um, but he's the MVP or he's going to be MVP. He really should be. Um, but at the same time, I look at the way this sets up for Houston. I think they've got a really good chance of getting through. And this is, a Houston team that is probably going to be starting Felipe Senderos in, in central defense. Um, uh, and it's Senderos keeping Leonardo out of the lineup. Um, <laughs> didn't the, the two of them start together in the, the knockout round game? Uh, I believe that's correct uh, because AJ De La Garza tore his ACL in the season right. finale. Um, and they're playing against Roy Miller. This is, this is fun. Can I, can I tell a story about uh, my soccer fandom? Yeah, go ahead. Real quick, because it involves uh, Felipe Senderos. Nice. Uh, so 
When I first started following soccer, I was following the English Premier League, like one does when they first start following soccer when you're in grad school. And I was following Everton. And I think it was the second season I was following Everton, uh, right about when I was start to following, start to follow MLS. Uh, Everton decided to sign Senderos, uh, from Portsmouth. I think it was the one year he played, um, for Everton and he was done then. And that was like <laughs> 2010. And I just can't imagine how he's still playing now. And I mean, it's evident on the field. He shouldn't be playing now. In Houston. No yeah, less. In Houston of all places. He should be, oh. if he's going to play anywhere, it should be in like the northernmost provinces Montreal. of Sweden where he can like never play in any kind of summertime weather. Yeah, it's, I mean, when we talk about how the, the East is clearly better than the West, I think the fact that the kind of, the caliber of players we see starting this in this series, and it's not necessarily Portland has a good team, but their injuries are clearly exposing some depth issues. Um, but yeah, the caliber of players starting in this series kind of underlines the difference. Like the lineup that Houston started, there's only like four or five players that would start uh, on an Eastern Conference playoff team this year. Um, and actually one of those, because of some of the goalkeeping errors in the East, uh, Tyler Derrick, the news came out today is, uh, being suspended, uh, from everything. He's an awful human being. He's, uh, was accused of, uh, domestic abuse. So he's suspended and he might've been one of the only players in this game that could have started for one of the Eastern teams. So, um, Joe Willis will be stepping in. So, you know, angry Joe Willis. Um, at least we get to see uh, a Joe Willis game out of all of this, but it's not a, it's a pretty bad situation um, for for everyone involved. But uh, yeah, it's this, these teams aren't that good um, right now. And uh, I feel like the Western conference, even if Seattle gets through and they've probably got the best team left in the, in the West, even if they are the ones that get out of this mess of a playoff conference in the West, they're just basically showing up to be sacrificed to TFC. Um, though, but last that's year, true of everybody. <laughs> but that, I mean, last year it also, yeah, you know, TFC dominated that game, couldn't find a goal, and ended up not winning. So you never know. But um, oh, also, internet before you add us, it was Ricardo Salazar and not Juan Guzman who was the ref uh-huh. in the Andre Hano game in 2012. Yeah. Just FYI, the only red card that Ricardo Salazar didn't ever give. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> uh, both series in the West uh, very much <coughs> up in the air uh, I think it, we all expect TFC to come out of, of the first game we talked about the other series in the East also looking <laughs> pretty close to settled Columbus save the crew save the crew Columbus crew winning over NYCFC 4-1 to one. Um, and it, it might not have even been that close, honestly. No. Um, I mentioned been, Sean Johnson earlier. Like he had himself. Five. Yeah, that's true. There were a lot of bad finishes in this game thrown into a game that had five goals. Uh, Sean Johnson was real bad. Sean Johnson was bad in this yeah. one. Um, but but the crew got a lot of good looks at him as well. So it, it wasn't completely on him. The the crew just riding the momentum from uh, the knockout round game in Atlanta um, 
where where they they you know you could argue that they even edged the game against Atlanta during yeah. during regulation. Uh, scoreless game, really really fun to watch. Everyone everyone I've heard talking about it has held it up as the platonic ideal of a scoreless draw. Um, at least if you're a neutral fan, um, yeah. and the crew advancing on penalties. Um, and and obviously the the players I think are uh, they've been great for the the home stretch this year but they they seem to even found another gear in this game whether that's writing the emotion of hashtag save the crew which you know check out the hashtag save the crew um, or or if it's just they they are locked in uh, I I don't know which is the answer but they look good in this game Ben. Yeah, they look very good, and any DC United fan. I, I mean, I like Toronto FC because they they have an underdog story. But my one A of team supporting going forward is the Columbus Crew because DC United could have been the Columbus Crew very easily had they not gotten an owner in a stadium deal. So support them for that reason, if nothing else. But also support them because this was a really fun game and. They really trashed NYCFC, and they could have trashed them by uh, a lot more. Uh, Sean Johnson had an awful game, and no one should ever compare him to Bill Hamid ever again. And if you do, I will fight you because you are wrong. <laughs> um, and I will not have his back. What you won't ha- you won't have my back? No, I won't have anybody's back. I. I I was gonna say That's pretty low D- stakes for D- violence. D- D- fan that, that you fight Adam if he's not gonna have my back protecting <laughs> Bill Hamid. Ben is he, protecting him. The man can face opinions. I mean, both of these men are giant and could, and could easily d- destroy me in physical combat. So yes, that's to be clear, not, you're not fighting Sean Johnson. You're fighting no. people who compare him favorably to Bill Hamid. Right. I, I, I would, I, I'm only fighting bloggers because those are the only people <laughs> I can beat in a physical fight. <laughs> but um, that's, that's fair. Carry on. <laughs> yes. So it was a wild game to begin with, and Columbus still had the edge, but. This was also, even though it took a little while, I think because of technical difficulties, but it, this was a good example of VAR getting something right. Because I don't know what Dan Callens was doing. Um, he, Dan? Isn't it Dan Callens? I'm wrong. Alexander. Alexander Callens. Whatever. He's Dan now. He deserves <laughs> to be a Dan. All right. Fair enough. Freaking uh, Dan. Yeah. Because like, if you look at the replay... Like, like in in real time, it looks bad. He's elbowing Justin Miram, I believe, yep. in the neck. Yep. Um, but then when you look on replay, he's running near Miram, and then he looks at Miram, and then he decides to throw the forearm slash elbow into Miram's neck. And it's just completely obvious what he was trying to do. And even though it took a little while, I think... I think there might have been a radio malfunction, but mm-hmm. regardless, uh, they eventually got it right, and Callan's got the deserved red card. And um, yeah, Columbus rolled from there, and they were probably still going to roll through anyways. Maybe not four to one level, but they were going to win anyways. But it felt good 
it felt good for them to beat them down for just a myriad of reasons. Yeah, to to advance the the pigeons are going to have to win three to nothing or what or I really win what, four to one or win what, by more than three goals. What I really wanted to happen and it didn't obviously, but uh, if Columbus had won four to zero, I wanted them to just like forfeit the game and see what kind of because that's only a three to zero victory. So I wanted them to do that and see what kind of shit show that would have thrown MLS into if they had just done that and be like, no, we're not playing this and you can't do anything about it. I know that's the rule in the regular season. It may, it may be in the regulations that forfeiting a, a playoff leg is akin to forfeiting the series, but yes, that could have been fun. It would have been a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I, it was interesting that this game I think was, it wasn't the best played game. It was much more entertaining than it was well played. There were a lot of giveaways. Yes. Yes. Um, I think um, it's it's one of those games where maybe when people look back, they'll think, wow, Artur had a good game. They won 4-1 and he scored a goal. Artur was terrible uh, in this game. <laughs> yes. Um, and if Columbus had had a sub to burn, I think they would have probably used Muhammad Abu earlier than stoppage time, which is what they actually did. And for how much people love Will Trapp, Will Trapp was also not very good. At this game. Most, most of the central midfield players in this game were just not very good. Um, yeah. Alexander Ring, who I think really oh. deserves – he deserves in the regular season deserved to be think of as a newcomer of the year candidate, even and, with the strength of the field in that department. He was that good, but not he had a fault. miserable game. And not his fault. He was put in central defense. He should not have been put that in central only, defense. That was only for a few minutes. Um, they did get him out of there once they brought in Matarita. Um, but he ended up having a, a very, maybe the worst game he's had in MLS. Yeah. Um, from, from front to back. Um, but I think it was a tribute to the, the ability to pressure from both teams. Both teams are really good at high pressing the other when they were at their weakest and making turnovers happen. Um, and so we got an entertaining game, if not a, a particularly artfully played game. Everyone's trying to attack and and do that stuff. Uh, Patrick Vieira is dogmatic about that. He wants to attack everybody. Um, Greg Berhalter, I think, realized that this was their chance to really uh, run away with the series. And to his credit, his team did the job. Um, but they, on another night, you know, this, the way this game played out, if NYCFC had brought their shooting boots, all of a sudden we're looking at like three, three or four, four, um, going into Yankee stadium, which is a place that produces as ESPN was so quick to point out, it produces three, three and four, four games pretty frequently. In baseball, you mean, um, uh, in baseball and it turns out in soccer. Wait, wait, uh, no, I, played, I thought you only played baseball games there. I thought uh, you played soccer games in Connecticut no, or, or yeah. Queens. Or yeah, they, or uh, or New Jersey. But well, you don't. If you're NYCFC, you don't go play in New Jersey because you will no, not. No, but, so- but, but soccer teams play in New Jersey or sure. Queens or Connecticut. I I would suggest uh, that NYCFC plays at uh, your check Field on the c- campus of Rutgers with a capacity of like five thousand people. Um, just because I think that would be amusing to me. But it's a it's a real soccer field. You can play there. Um, what if they played in? Central Park, just like just, in the grass. Like both teams just show up with two T-shirts to set up as goals? Yeah, or, or shirts and skins, or uh, one team has pennies and the other team doesn't, or... We've talked about DC United, you know, in the past we talked about DC United setting up on the mall, if need be, so... <laughs> this idea has some merit. I mean, if they want... If they want light, light, lights versus... Yeah, like, 
one team wears white t-shirts, the other team wears dark t-shirts. I mean, I think they kind of do that as is um, right. with uniforms. Or they all play in paddle boats in the water in Central Park. And kind of like a semi-soccer, semi-water polo kind of thing. What if they did it all in Roosevelt Island? And then people could just stand on the bridges watching. And then they also got uh, consumption while doing so. <laughs> I mean, that, that would happen. Because that, Roosevelt Island is where they had a uh, typhoid hospital, I believe. Tuberculosis, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis was consumption. Yes. Not, yeah. yeah. Good correction. Let's, let's not give a whole bunch of people consumption if we can avoid it. All right. Jason raises a good point. <laughs> Use our powers for good. Okay. Um, we'll use our big our... cinnamon. Will never back us if we are <laughs> tuberculosis. That's I, well, that everyone. I feel that. confident about that. Other sponsors, we'll see, but I'm pretty sure big cinnamon is is big on morality, or at least not you know giving people unless <laughs> people it, unless big cinnamon thinks they have antibiotic qualities. Adam, you would know better than me since you're the one getting the money. I, I didn't so get any money from Big Cinnamon. I, then why were you shilling for them? I was grading Cinnamon, and I was just... I, I don't know. <laughs> Listeners, believe me when I say that Big Fo- Big Goat is against Big Cinnamon. So, trust your heart. Trust your goats. <laughs> cinnamon is They're good. the greatest of all cinnamon time. It's a good flavor. Trust goat. Ben, ben and I will show for Big Goat without being paid. <laughs> Much to Adam chagrin. Um, to go back, Can we end the show to, now. To go back, I just wanted to make a one more point about the game here. Um, it seems defeated like NYCFC. It seems pretty difficult <laughs> that Adam or NYCFC will recover, recover from this. Um, to to lose to lose a starting center back uh, that played every single game this season for them for the second leg. Um, is a debacle when they're going to have to throw numbers forward even more so than they normally do. Um, and we're talking about I, Columbus uh, is they finished this regular season on a 10 game unbeaten streak. And then they've not lost in their two playoff games. Uh, they have the longest unbeaten run active in the league right now. Um, they're going on the, they went on the road during that stretch to get draws in places they needed to, including a draw on the final day at, NYCFC. Um, so they're not just in a good position on the scoreboard. Columbus is also in a good position based on the reality on the ground that they've done this recently. They've played this team away recently and gotten the job done. They're playing them without a starting center back now. Um, Sean Johnson uh, is probably going to be suffering from a loss of confidence because of the caliber of goals he gave up. Uh, it, it just, it really looks like it's, Things have set up uh, badly for NYCFC. The only thing I will say is that Patrick Vieira is the least afraid to radically change things to go for it. So we might see some sort of wild formation from the two, start three, here. Two, three, five. I it's, will root for them if they play it, a two, three, five. I won't, but I would still like it. If someone was ever going to start a game in a two, three, five in MLS, it's going to be Patrick Vieira in this scenario down uh, 4-1 on aggregate and already facing uh, a, having to play, feel the defense that he knows isn't going to keep a shutout. Um, I think he's going to 
if he doesn't go for it outright, we could see some early subs. We might see a 30th minute substitution based on tactical need in this so game. The, the seven Honestly, God, not even joking. Um, yep. Two, three, five, obviously was a joke. I think he could Wasn't. run a WM out on this one. Like it's he's not quite it as far back as, as a two, three, five. exactly. So, I mean, That's yeah. exactly my point is he's done a WM, which is the first evolution from the two, three, five. So it's really dang yeah. close. And it would be, that would be a fun little thing to watch against Greg Berhalter's team. Um, of all the second legs, that one's the one that's probably the most likely to end in just a bizarre and wild high score. Uh, but I think we do owe a certain uh, bit of credit to Harrison Awful for making sure of that because if he didn't score that goal in stoppage time, yeah. this thing is a lot more dicey for. Yeah, we uh, talked about we, we talked about Vis- Victor Vasquez's goal uh, at the beginning of this segment. Awful's goal. At, in stoppage time in in this game was also special different kind yeah. of special where he just dribbled through five guys right. in all of them inside the box before slotting it past Sean Johnson that was those two goals by by far the best of the bunch uh in the playoffs so far and they were yeah. they were pretty special it was cool yeah. to see all right talking about that and and weird tactics has has brought me back from the brink just in time <laughs> to end the show so there will be a show next week Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you are not a representative of Big Cinnamon, don't worry. You can still support the show financially. Patreon.com slash filibuster is where you can do that. Find us I, on. I prefer Big Parsley. You would. <laughs> yeah, Parsley's good. Okay. Okay. Twitter's good. Yeah, We're on tw- it. Twitter's good. We're on Twitter at filibuster DCU for this here podcast at black and red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google play, the internet archive and wherever quality podcasts are. Um, what's found. the one? found procured uh, acquired, subscribed, pervade located, you know what? Send your verbs. Send your verb suggestions to us on on Twitter or or to the email. Mostly though, you can also send us your adverbs. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Hemingway on this one. No adverbs. I disagree. You didn't use an adverb, so clearly, dang it, you do agree. I did use an adverb. I lose. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Please tell a friend about the show. Don't mention adverbs. The- Yes, don't mention adverbs when you tell a friend about this show. Unless you think they like adverbs. I, I, or I, I, I clearly adverbs. won't. If they have opinions about adverbs, send them our way. <laughs> For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, walking myself right back up to the brink. We'll talk to you next week. Say goodbye. Money me, money now. Me a money, needing a lot now. What? Indubitably. <laughs> <laughs>